Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Turk Show Radio. It's your boy, 3K. I don't think Van's on the line yet. Of course, he's late. I'm going to have to see if he kicks in in a minute. And speaking of, here he is, your boy, Van. Van, what's going on, man? Oh, look at that. I muted what you. On your... Say what? See, it was a little... I, I turned your phone off, man. It was one of those uh, Freudian slips. You know, the subconscious was working it. against you that time. I uh, dig it. Well, I, was, on, I was a little, I was a little late getting to the phone. Are we live? It's it's on and popping. And speaking of live, we got CC Machine, aka Matt from Crimson and Cream Machine, on the phone as well. What's going on, CC Matthew? Hey guys, how you doing? Glad to be with you tonight. All right, thanks for joining us today, my man. My pleasure. Three K. It's a good day. We got we got some we got the man. I guess we can talk to about all things Oklahoma football related. Am I right? Well, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're going through spring practice right now, and uh, just can't get enough information. Is a problem. I was going to say we may have to start you. out with the the biggest sporting story of the day: India, winners of the Cricket World Cup. How, be honest, CC Machine. Is did you have them in your Cricket World Cup bracket? Uh, you know what? I to be totally honest with you, I didn't even know there was a cricket World Cup. So that's where I stand on the on the infamous sport of cricket. <laughs> what? Here's, here's I thought you were a subject cricket. matter I, expert, man. Here's what I know about cricket: there's paddles, there's a stick, and there's some funky pants uh, type thing going on there, and that's that's all I can tell you. So you don't? I mean, you don't support the OU cricket team? There's no Boomer Sooner. So the cricket team is just football and basketball. Come on, man. Uh, you know we we, uh, we 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 talk football, we talk basketball, and then we talk baseball, which is you know the more modern version of cricket, I guess. I don't know. Um, we have talked lacrosse, but I no, there's no ch- uh, cricket talk going on at CrimsonandCrimmachine.com. I mean, I, I don't I don't know if I have any questions, man. You may just have to do this yourself, man. I, I didn't have any questions, questions man. It was all cricket. I guess we're going to have to go to our second love then, which is football. And, you know, OU, as you know, the Rams kind of have a pretty significant connection to an OU, a former OU prospect. Um, I think we'll probably talk about him a little bit later. But, you know, right now the, draft, the NFL draft is coming up. And I know a lot of our TST folks are psyched up. They've been well, my God, what else are you going to be psyched up about with the NFL these days? You got the draft, and then it's purgatory. But um, so you got the draft coming up. Uh, you know, one name that we have discussed. I'm going to just jump right in with it. 3K, an OU prospect that we've discussed, looking for a backup running back or a complimentary running back to pair with Steven Jackson, Demarco Murray. Tell me about Demarco Murray. Is what, what what kind of back was he in college? I mean, I know he had some big numbers at OU, but what, what kind of back was he and and what kind of offense did they did was OU running with with Murray this year? I mean, you know, with, with Bradford, there's a lot of talk about the spread and stuff. So I guess fans just want to know a little bit about Murray's background and what kind of college player he was. First of all, well, he was a highly touted uh, kid coming out of Las Vegas. Uh, his freshman year, um, he his true freshman year, he had some injury problems. Uh, had a you know bad case of turf toe and. So he actually redshirted his first year on campus, came in as a, as a redshirt freshman, and really had a phenomenal uh, freshman season. Um, a lot of Sooner fans will remember a, a huge play he had uh, in the Cotton Bowl against uh, the Texas Longhorns uh, where he hurdled uh, actually that was blocking the tight end, uh, hurdled him and, and dashed, uh, you know, 70-something yards to the end zone that 
kind of announced his arrival as an Oklahoma back. But unfortunately, he's also a guy that um, that had some injury problems and, and missed uh, some key bowl games. Uh, his freshman season, he was injured uh, out in Lubbock, Texas, a freak knee injury on an onside kick that cost him to miss the uh, the bowl game. Uh, his sophomore year, he missed the uh, the BCS championship game against Florida. Uh, again, just because he got hurt on the kickoff in the uh, Big 12 championship game. Um, but he's a, he's a running back that's going to run with power. Um, I, I can tell you from watching him on both on TV and, and there in the stadium, uh, he's a guy that's not as shy. It doesn't shy away from contact. Um, I've seen him on occasion lower his head into a defensive back and either knock the defensive back out or knock the defensive back's helmet off. Um, but he's also a guy wow. that has uh, home run speed. Uh, the, the, I guess the knock against DeMarco Murray is why he is fast. Uh, that was evident by his 40 times. Um, his football speed, he's a little bit slow to take off. Um, if you can get him in space, he, he can be a threat to go, uh, you know, goal line to goal line. But the problem has been, uh, particularly with the Sooners the last two seasons in offensive line blocking, is freeing him to get out into space. Um, between the tackles, he, he, he'll lower his head and he'll just go. Um, and he'll, you know, he's he's not a guy that's going to fall down and give you four yards, but he is a guy that can power forward and carry a defender for a couple of yards. Um, but he he thrives getting into space and uh, getting the ball in the flat and, and then turning the field. OU kind of helped out with that last year and a little bit even in 2009, but more so last year uh, by running some flare passes to him, uh, lining him up in a slot receiver type position. He's very versatile. Uh, he's a guy that could give you. Um, uh, I think he could come in if he was drafted by any NFL team uh, that, that winds up taking him. I think he can make an immediate impact in special teams uh, in the kickoff return game. Uh, but probably he's going to be a, a, a good third down back, um, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a position that seems to be uh, more and more trending in the NFL. And I think that's probably where Murray's long-term future in the NFL is going to be as a guy who comes in on, you know, a third down type situation and also a guy that can give you some good yards on the kickoff return. Cool. Well, it's interesting you mentioned, though, that they lining up in the slot like that. That's, a, you know, something the Rams did that a little bit last year with Steven Jackson. I think, you know, they're looking at a couple different kinds of backs, but I think one of the, you know, one type of back they've been looking at is a back like that, you know, a good guy, receiver type back, a quicker outside threat like that. And, you know, it seems like Murray can, that's something Murray can kind of, a role that he can fill. Now, the injury thing is a little disconcerting, I guess, just, you know, maybe having suffered through so many lost Rams seasons with injuries over the years. Well, but. i tell you what, on the, on the uh, yeah, I mean, you guys are building snake bit with injuries. And, and, you know, talking Oklahoma players, you know, we were all crushed to see Mark Clayton go down uh, with the injury he suffered last <laughs> year. But one thing that DeMarco Murray just kind of even admitted to before the 2010 football season uh, was that he, um, you know, he never really took conditioning as serious as he as he thought he should. He, he's a he's a natural athlete. Um, you guys, uh, I'm sure you've seen him at the combine. Uh, he's a physical mm-hmm. specimen. But in high school, everything just kind of came easy to him. He was, he was a guy that was the, the best athlete on the field, and he was the fastest athlete on the field, and, and everything just kind of came, um, you know, came the way he wanted it. You know, however, he he named you know. He named what his, what his production was on any given night in high school, and he learned in college that, that that's not necessarily the case, but he still, until uh, the off season between 2009 and 2010, 
he really didn't uh, take conditioning as serious as as um, as he should have, as any college athlete should have. Uh, but he he made a, a, a strong commitment uh, to conditioning. He even uh, enrolled in some MMA courses. I don't know if you guys are MMA junkies or not, but uh, he's, uh, you know, UFC has been giving Murray a lot of love because you know it's a Las Vegas-based organization. That's where he's from. <laughs> uh, he went out and trained with a lot of these guys as well. And uh, and that you know the stretching and the exercises, even getting involved in yoga, uh, really you could see a difference in him. Uh, this year, uh, in you know, tippy toeing the sidelines again. There was a play this this last season in October in the Cotton Bowl where he was uh, basically uh, all all practical purposes should have been pushed out of bounds. But he did some sort of uh, crazy spin pirouette type tippy toe down the sideline and was able to dive into the end zone for a touchdown. And this season, Murray was 100% healthy, and you could tell just uh, number one by looking at him. And, and number two, by seeing him on the field, I guess you'd say he passed both the eye test and the actual field play test, that he was it was a different uh, dedication to, to health and to training and, and to building his body up. And, uh, you know, the result was uh, 1,200 rushing yards, 15 touchdowns uh, this last season. Um, and so, I, yeah, there's, there's a, a bit of a red flag there, I guess you could say, from um, – uh, from years past, but I, I would also say if you look at the 2010 season, uh, physically it was Murray's best season, and I think he also made a significant um, waves at the combine by number one proving his speed, but number two uh, proving his overall health. Yeah, well he's a gamer. I mean that's you know that's good to hear that this guy's a gamer first and foremost. But I, you know the Las Vegas connection is kind of funny because I think. 3K, help me out on this. I think the Rams have another guy from Las Vegas on the team. Yeah, and I think he plays a similar position. I don't know. Yeah. Not, I, think I might be forgetting that guy's name. But, no, you you brought a good point up, Matt, about talking about Mark Clayton. Um, and we've seen some people, you know, migrate from OU fandom into the Rams world because of Sam Bradford. How, how important is those guys, are those guys to, you know, the OU psyche, seeing, uh, you know, former Sooners graduate from the program? and then move on to the NFL level and do things at that next level? How important is it to see guys like that? Well, I, I think it's big um, because, it's, you know, Oklahoma, we're known for college football. There, there's not an NFL team here. Most people who live in the state are either Dallas Cowboys fans or the Kansas City Chiefs fans. Um, but there hasn't really been a lot of St. Louis Rams talk until Sam Bradford, um, you know, so he got drafted. Uh, if you look at the quarterbacks in the Bob Stoops era, you know, it started with Josh Heifel in 99 and 2000. Uh, he got a shot with the Dolphins and washed out in camp. Uh, then you had Jason White uh, win a Heisman Trophy, got drafted by the Titans and washed out in camp. And so Oklahoma's never really had a marquee quarterback in the NFL. And to have Sam Bradford go in and, and take on that role um, and, and actually come out as a, as a rookie and, and do what he did for the Rams, you know, he had you guys knocking on the door of the playoffs if you just, mm-hmm. you, know, tough, you know, that tough loss against uh, Seattle there in the last game of the season – where really you could tell, you know, anybody who uh, – I'll I tell you this, a lot of OU fans watched that game, and that was their, that was their one uh, look at the Rams. If I remember right, it was a primetime game. I think it was a <laughs> Sunday night game. And, um, and so a lot of Oklahoma fans just tuned into that because they knew that the playoffs were on the line. And it really showed two things. It showed, number one, uh, the, the improvement that Bradford continues to – to uh, to build on and taking the step from college to the NFL, but it also shows that really where the holes are uh, that St. Louis has 
that, that that needs to be filled around him. But I think hopefully you guys would agree that that you've got somebody in Sam Bradford that you can build a franchise around. Um, but you now you've got to fill in the, the holes. You know, uh, you talked about Stephen Jackson mm-hmm. being a solid uh, running back, but who's going to back him up? Uh, it was it was painfully obvious. Uh, in that that loss to uh, Seattle, that there's really not a lot of reliability there uh, as far as guys who can yeah. catch the football. And then looking at the fact that he was um, he was sacked what 30, 35 times, thirty four times, something like that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's some there's some things along the line that need to be shored up. But I, I will say that, you, that the Rams gained a lot of fans. Uh, you know, much like the Chicago Bears did when they drafted Tommy Harris. Um, much sure. like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did when they drafted Jerry McCoy. One, one thing that, that Oklahoma fans are loyal to, and that is to our players, and not having a local team here in the state to be uh, to, to subtract from those loyalties, um, it, uh, it, it, it makes it fun to be able to follow the guys and, and be unbiased at following our Sooners in the NFL. Sure. Uh, you know, that's kind of funny you mentioned that Seattle game, and that's – you know, one criticism Rams fans always had, and I, I mean, you saw the, you know, at, at OU got to see kind of the full, you know, at the college level anyway, the full force of what Sam Bradford could do. And, you know, one of the things that kind of frustrated Rams fans all year was just the, you know, watching Sam Bradford make four, five, six-yard passes with that, you know, tomahawk missile accuracy that he has. Well, yeah, you know, he, he's a guy that uh, for his career was a 67% uh, accuracy guy in, in college. and uh, But, again, also, you know, I, I can understand your frustration because I tell you what, St. Bradford's long ball, is, is, it's a beautiful thing to see. But, again, you've got, a, you've got a rookie out there who's just getting hammered on every other play. Uh, even the plays where he makes it, though, he's getting knocked down. And, the worst thing you can do is is damage the guy's psyche by asking him to drop back in the pocket and hold the ball for three or three to five seconds and make the deep pass when he knows he's going to get sure. So I, I think, and again, game planning. I, I can't tell you a lot about the game planning uh, that the Rams do, but I do know when he was about a sixty percent passer uh, his his rookie year, and and I think that's something that as the Rams get more adapted to having a home run threat at wide receiver. Uh, getting more protection along the lines that you'll be able to see him do. I mean, keep, keep in mind that his his uh, his redshirt sophomore year at OU, when he won the Heisman Trophy, um, he passed for 4,700 yards and 50 touchdowns. And so it's not like the guy can't throw the football. I mean, you know that. Yeah. What I would, uh, I mean, on the outside looking in, what I would be more encouraged about from Sam Bradford's rookie season is that, like Demonte Murray, he entered the NFL with a little bit of a question mark about his health. Um, you know, yeah. he, he went out in the BYU game of his junior year, came back against Texas and was done for the season, uh, you know, half, not even halfway through that game. But taking, you know, 34 sacks in one year and being able to get up, uh, it lets you know that he's, he's healthy, the shoulder's fine, and he's ready to withstand the rigors of the NFL. So I would walk mm-hmm. away from the season more encouraged in that than I am discouraged at the short passes. Yeah, absolutely, and that's one thing. You know, that's one thing you look back at the season two. And, you know, a rookie quarterback getting used to the NFL, and and you mentioned the line and the sacks, but, you know, there's also the receivers and not having, you know, those consistent threats at receiver to really, A, to really stretch the field, and, B, just kind of, you know, it was a young group of receivers, especially after they lost Clayton. So, I mean, you know, they're feeling their way through the offense as well. And, you know, 34 sacks for the Rams, that's, you know, that's, 
Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas all rolled into one compared to these last, what, 10 years or so where they've averaged about 44, 45 sacks a year. So here's hoping. Here's hoping. Uh, 3K, let's throw it back to you. you got some uh, some OU questions. Yeah, we're at the halfway point, so I'm going to limit one more question from me. And I would just note one thing. A lot of those sacks, and we saw it on a lot of the, you know, those rollouts that we ran with Sam a lot last year, they weren't protection issues. They were wide receiver issues. It, it was the fact that he was spending so much time mm-hmm. waiting for somebody to get open, waiting for somebody to make that second-level cut. And when you have guys like Amendola who just aren't used to that, guys like LaRon Robinson who just weren't capable of getting open, and then, you know, the the revolving door that we had at the other position, whether it was Brandon Gibson, Mark Clayton, whomever, um, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of consistency there. Now, when he did have Clayton and obviously Amendola and Spurs gave him that to fire off and do some things relatively quickly, but – Longer plays, those five- and seven-step uh, drops. A lot of the time he was looking, and there was just nobody there, and it was those extended plays that were, you know, coverage sacks more than line protection. Uh, yeah, but I'm going to completely flip the script on this one for you, Matt. Um, I, I'm kind of a draft, Nick. I love watching the draft, and I, I'm really impressed at the freshman class at Oklahoma last year. So uh, I'm random question. Who, who do you see as being a better, you know, NFL pro prospect a couple of years from now? Middle linebacker Tom Ward. Or Kenny Stills. Kenny Stills was pretty impressive as a freshman receiver. Well, Kenny Stills kind of caught everybody off guard his freshman year. We we knew of his potential, um, but you know, keep in mind, 2009 was a bad year for Oklahoma's receivers. Other than Ryan Boyle, there just wasn't any consistency there. And and Oklahoma was I hate to use the word desperate, but that really describes where they were coming in to 2010. They needed someone to compliment Ryan Boyle. Uh, DeWan Miller, everyone thought, would be the guy to take that role. But from day one, I mean, Kenny Steele just kind of inserted himself uh, beginning in, in the camp and, and, and just kind of uh, moved in there. And he has speed. He has hands. And, and the, the, here's something I like. I'm an attitude guy, and he has attitude. He's a guy that uh, he's going to tell you what he's going to do to you uh, as he's drawing to the defensive backs. And then he's going to go out and he's going to do it. And um, and, and so – I'm a big fan of Kenny Stills, and that's not to slight Tom Ward at all, um, but Tom Ward's a guy that at this point is still uh, sharing that position with Austin Box, and he'll probably do so uh, going into this year as well. Box will be a senior. Ward's still learning a little bit about the game. He's a hard hitter. Um, he, you know, the guys talk about the NFL guys talk about the slobber knockers. Uh, he's a guy that can deliver those, uh, but he's also a guy who's learning about pursuit angles. He's learning how to read a play. And a lot of times last year, Ward was caught off, um, you know, out, out of position because he, he, he either took the wrong pursuit angle or he read the play wrong and he put himself in, in a bad position and, and really missed, uh, missed out on what could have been a good play and actually turned into a good play for the offense. Um, when Austin Box got healthy and came back into the lineup, Oklahoma's defense changed and even, you know, the middle had become even more solidified than it was under Ward. So, if you're basing it just off of freshman seasons, both of these guys have potential. They're both freshman All-American. Uh, but really, I, I would say Kenny Stills at this point probably has an edge as an NFL prospect. And, and we're really excited about him uh, coming into the, this coming season, a year under his belt, uh, following the training program, getting stronger, getting faster. Um, he's going to be a vital part of Oklahoma's offense. We know for sure uh, going into the season we're we're not for sure what role uh, Tom Moore's going to play in the defense just yet because, like I said, he hasn't solidified a starting job. Uh, the best he's got right now is sharing time with Austin Box. And so 
I think both of them are going to be good NFL guys. If you really put a gun to my head and make me uh, make me make a, a, a pick now, I'd, I'd go with Kenny Stills. One more question, man. I forgot to ask. Sorry, man. I'm going to break sure. in with one more. Oh, no problem. Say Matoire, man. What, what's the deal with Matoire? Is he going to redshirt? Well, you know, Matoire is a guy who hasn't qualified yet. So, um, I didn't know, know that. Okay. Yeah, he's he's still waiting to uh, take the HDT and, and get the, the quali- all of his qualification stuff down. We actually had um, Jake Trotter on from the Daily Oklahoma, and we had him on our uh, podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, and we talked about this issue. It, it doesn't seem like it's a thing that um, that anyone's overly concerned about. Uh, as soon as school ends in May, uh, which I guess is next month now, he'll, he'll get all that taken care of with his uh, testing and everything, but by all accounts, they expect him to qualify, but it's hard to talk about a guy that's not on campus yet, uh, that's not even qualified. But I will tell you, from what our researchers said, we have a guy uh, who goes by the name of J.T.E. Sooner uh, on our site, com, who really follows recruiting a lot better than I do. Um, from what he said about Matwire, what uh, our rivals guy that comes on with us every now and then says about Matwire and the media guys, he's the guy that's going to be an impact guy from day one. Uh, Oklahoma gets him on campus. He will start and will play as a true freshman. Okay, good. I actually saw him in person when I was back home. I told you before the show I'm from Dallas, and I saw right. uh, I got to see the White House Tyler game, and uh, oh, okay. he can play, man. I was. A- well, we're definitely excited about having him on. Um, like I said, but you just got to get that get some stuff taken care of and get qualified. And like I said, there's there's no uh, fear that that's not going to happen. It's just something that hasn't happened yet. Man, what do you think, man? Well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think here. What you know, your you your big three Oklahoma prospects that you're head for the NFL. We talked a little bit about um, uh, Murray, and then of course you got um, Quentin Carter, the safety, and you got a uh, you know Jeremy Beal. Uh, is there anybody else? Is there any other Oklahoma prospects eligible for the NFL this year? Well, sure. there, there are some guys out there that are eligible for the uh, NFL draft, but you guys pretty much uh, nailed the big three. And, and unfortunately, Jeremy Bill has not um, – uh, he's not done himself very many favors since uh, since the season ended. He had a really bad uh, showing at the Senior Bowl. Um, he, um, and then followed it up with a really bad showing at the NFL Combine where I can't uh, – I, I can't remember exactly what his 40 time was. I, I think it was something just a bit slower than what my grandma would have run. Um, and so he, he's really hurt himself uh, with – he comes across as a guy, and, and, and um, let me tell you what I know about Jeremy Bill after this. He comes across as a guy that um, that really um, seems to have a, a bad work ethic, and that's really not the case. Jeremy Bill is a – he is what he is. What, what he uh, – tested out at the Combine and what he tested out at the Senior Bowl are, are both things that, that, that that's just Jeremy Joe feel, but he's a guy who has a, a high motor, um, a guy who just has a knack for getting to the ball and, and making the plays, um, and he, he's a guy that, um, um, that probably will be a late-round draft pick um, mm-hmm. because of just what his test results. Quentin Carter is another guy that's going to do well um, – uh, he'll be one of the top safeties taken. His his speed wasn't incredibly blazing fast, uh, but it was fast enough to, to secure him as one of the top safeties in the draft. Beyond that, you've got some guys, offensive line guys, um, that are probably going to try to make their way as a free agent. Uh, there's another mm-hmm. guy named Cam Kenny who was a receiver 
at, at OU. Really came on strong at the end of the season. Uh, he'll make his way probably as an NFL free agent. And, and he's probably one of those guys that if he can get on a roster as, and get in someone's camp as a free agent, he'll probably make the roster. And um, um, so, it's, you know, OU had a really good draft class last season. Um, but mm-hmm. um, this year we're kind of thin. Another guy on the defensive line is a, a defensive tackle, Adrian Taylor, who suffered yep. just a really bad leg injury in the um, in the bowl out in El Paso in the Sun Bowl, and, and just never was 100% healthy. And then he got injured again uh, this last season. But he's a guy that has a chance to be a late round draft pick, but also a guy that if he um, goes on as an undrafted free agent, will probably make a roster as well. Those are always, I mean, I mean, obviously, like, you know, we talked about Murray and, and Quentin Carter. I mean, that's a guy we've talked about on the site before. You know, those guys get a lot of, a lot of impression, you know, a lot of talk and a lot of conversation going around them. But it's always kind of interesting, especially with a school like OU and, and Texas and places like that, you know, those big programs like that, you know, where you get, it gets really interesting when you kind of get in some of those, some of those other late round undrafted free agent guys. Cause those are the guys that, you know, they can come in and they can surprise you. You know, everyone you talk about the small school prospects coming in, but you know, those fringe guys on the, coming from those big 12 programs like OU always kind of, you know, sometimes they can really come in and make a difference. That's why I always, I always, we, you know, we've had a couple college bloggers on the show here. I always like to ask that question because there's, you know, those are the guys that don't get a lot of conversation a lot of play on the web and in all the draft talk right now. So that's interesting to know, especially a receiver, you know, with Bradford coming in there and the Rams, you know, if undrafted free, if the CBA thing works out and they can get undrafted free agents in time for the end of April, then, you know, that'll be interesting to watch who the Rams can get, especially if they don't take Julio Jones in the first round. Um, 3K? Well, what's, crazy, what's crazy about you no, go ahead, Julio man. Jones, you know, Julio Jones could have been, uh, a college teammate of Sam Bradford's, um, but chose uh, Alabama over Oklahoma. But just imagine what that duo could have done in college. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. I hopefully we'll get to see what they can do in the NFL. But you know, we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see how the first round of the draft goes. Yeah, and I was uh, going to say, man, as a as a North Texas fan, I got an Oklahoma guy who's got Sam Bradford, Landry Jones. Ryan Broyles, Cam Canny, you know, come on, man. Y'all got a, y'all got a pretty good, man. Y'all living a good life, man. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying life is bad. I'm just saying imagine if Julio Jones would have come. Um, you know, yeah, Bob Stoops and company have done a, a phenomenal job at um, at recruiting and, and building this program back up. And something, I don't know how much time we have left, but something to keep in mind, you know, you and I were talking before the show started about Lon Kruger coming in and, and taking the job as Oklahoma's new basketball coach. It's not a good program right now basketball-wise. And really, you can make comparisons back to that to 1999 when Bob Stoops came in. This was a program that had a lot of history, a lot of tradition. At the time, they had six national championships. They had three Heisman Trophy winners. Uh, but Bob Stoops has come in and put Oklahoma football back on the map. And it's, it, it's, a, it's, it's a situation where, barring a, a year like 2009 where you're just devastated by injuries, it should be a program that's consistently a 10-win season, consistently in a BCS bowl game, and consistently in on, on the best prospects in the nation. And, and you know, a lot of people um, give Bob Stoops a lot of credit for what he's done on the field as far as X's and O's. But another thing that you just mentioned that needs to be attributed to him is what he's done off the field in the area of recruiting and, and really building this program back up with some top-notch talent. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's always good. It's always fun. You know, I live here in Springfield, Missouri, and I get to see, you know, I'm in kind of a good place because I get to see some good Big 12 games, some good SEC games. It's always it's always fun to watch those teams like that because you really see some damn good football year in year out, even if you don't necessarily know the guys' names on the field. So it's a uh, it's entertaining to say the least. Three uh, K. Hey, I just we got another caller waiting on the line that I want to try to squeeze in before the overtime. But Matt, I want to thank you for coming on on the show with us, brother. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime, guys. Just uh, give me a call, Absolutely. give me an email. I'll be more than happy to be with you. Absolutely, man. Hey, thanks a lot, man. No problem. Take care, guys. All right. Three K, a caller. Let's bring him on. From the five three zero, you should be on Turn Show Radio. <laughs> That's Knock me. It. <laughs> Got to take a break from the tailgate party out here. Hey, DeMarco Murray uh, is the man. Get him and, and a couple of uh, uh, beefy uh, run stuffers, and what that's going to do is that, that's going to improve Sam's long ball uh, enormously because, you know, if, if, they're, if they're sweating out uh, two of the big guys in the backfield and uh, they're going to have to stack that box to a certain degree, that's, that's going to open up our real speed guys. And that's why I'm hoping that uh, as much as I like defense, I hope I hope we, uh, you know, go for the offense just as well because that's I think that's going to be a game changer is just to just to uh, un, uh, stack the box against those runners because it, you know we're famous they they put 15 guys in the box for for Steven. Uh, well, that, we're going to blow their doors off this year if they even think about doing that. Uh, I know we're limited for time. We're already halfway into the overtime. But uh, uh, that's all I had to say. Otherwise, Matt, I've been following uh, Buckeye on on his big board for the for the uh, uh, for the draft. Uh, boy, I like the way that went. I just hope that scenario works out really, really good. I don't know if it will or not, but uh, uh, I, I think there's going to be a real surprise. We're going to get some WTFs in the, in this draft like we never had before. Uh, <laughs> I think I think I think probably the the first pick that we make is going to be the biggest one. And and I don't think we're going to trade down. Then we're going to take our number fourteen, and then we're going to trade down to see what we can we can get on the bottom. But uh, uh, I, I I think that that this, this draft is not going to go like like uh, we're expecting. I, I'm just I just got the feeling that it's gonna it, it's gonna be a, a a real shocker what we do at uh, number fourteen, and and then 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 it'll be more conventional on what we expect uh, after that. Well, okay, guys, you're, you're, you're all doing a you're all doing a great job. Uh, yeah, all, all the crowd around here, we tailgate everything. Uh, as I put in my poster, we we even ta- tailgate the, the cheerleader tryouts and and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I would go up there and collect that fifty bucks you put up for uh, tailgating, but you know, <laughs> but it, it's too, it's too hard to hitchhike all that way with you know rolling a, a barbecue pit behind you and a and a, and a half a cow slung over your shoulder. So. Uh, I think we'll have to pass on that one. Well, all right, man. But you know, and you never know in April in Minnesota too. You never, you know, you might get might be seventy degrees. It might be twelve inches of snow. So it's yeah. just for the hardy. Well, out here in Northern California, you see, we can hitchhike around uh, uh, San Francisco area and stuff like that, carrying a barbecue pit and, and, a, and a you know a rack of beef or whatever, and nobody think anything about it. But when we get back, probably in some of the other states, they uh, they kind of look at you funny. I, you okay, probably boy. you could probably get a ride here, but you might get rolled for that side of beef. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <in the West> here. <laughs> well, it's, hey, uh, thanks it's for calling, Knox fan. 
Yeah, you got you guys uh take care. Uh keep up the good work. I'm with you 100% all the way. And uh we'll we'll ah. see just what uh, comes out in few in uh, the next month. It's going to be exciting. Thanks again, my man. Okay, see you later. Okay. All right, bro. Hey, 3K, you know, we had talking about DeMarco Moore. This is kind of an interesting year for running backs, it seems like. Is it maybe that just the those you know, those type of backs like DeMarco Murray and Kendall Hunter have just gotten, you know, more prominent, and this is just kind of the, the high water mark for them this year, or is there just kind of legitimately a good crop of talented guys that kind of fit that mold in the draft this year? Well, I think it probably is a systemic change in terms of how football develops, and one of the things that we've seen with the advent of, you know, pass-first offenses at the college level is that they're looking for different things from the running backs. And as that evolved, essentially what you saw was that you didn't need Steven Jackson types of running back. You could you could work in smaller guys, and you could, you know, have running back committees that would share carries. And one of the things that opened the door for was smaller guys, guys like, you know, Jordan Todman, Jaquiz Rogers, Noel Devine, you know, different, different types of, of mm-hmm. players at the position who were much smaller and lighter but obviously quicker that couldn't, you know, for the most part manage, uh, you know, 25 carries a game over the course of their career without being hurt as often. You know, guys like Dexter McCluster, you just can't bear that kind of burden on them. But if you work them in with a committee, and especially what's happened, you know, since they've come to the NFL, that type of running back, you get a very, very, you know, strong value and a great effectiveness out of employing those guys in different kinds of schemes than you would normally, especially when you couple them with bigger, you know, more physical running back. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I always point to is the old Tampa Bay duo of Ward Dunn and Mike Allstott. Individually, oh, yeah. neither of them was necessarily incredible. I mean, Ward Dunn was a very capable running back, but, you know, given his size, he wasn't incredibly durable, and, you know, he wasn't the, the most visionary of running backs in terms of his ability to parse through the field, but he was very smart. He hit holes very well. He was incredibly quick, obviously, but you had a goal linebacker and Mike Allstott, and when you combine the two, you got great effectiveness. Same thing with, that happened when Morgan mm-hmm. went to Atlanta, and they had T.J. Duckett. So I, yeah. I don't think that it's necessarily anything that, that was maybe a cognizant decision of coaches to say, let's start going out and getting smaller guys. It was just as the passing game, especially the spread offense, developed, yeah. they found a way to get more value out of the position by having guys like that. I don't think it's necessarily this class. I think it's just one of those things we're going to see more and more. I'm interested to see what the uh, – what's a good way to put it? What the ripple effect is. You know, the fact that now you're getting these guys, how are defense is going to respond? And I think one of the yeah. first things you're seeing is more active and more athletic defense guys that can really make the most out of getting after the passer because that's the best way to shut down an offense. When it's a pass-first offense, the best way to stop it is get after the quarterback and either force bad throws you know, or create fumbles and sacks. And you're seeing guys that are generally smaller than some of your historical defensive ends have been because you need those athletes in there, guys like Alden Smith, Dwight Freeney. Mm-hmm. You're not always going to get you know, beasts like Julius Peppers who are just huge and you know, freakishly sure. athletic. A lot of times you need those you know, smaller, more athletic guys to get into the backfield and break stuff up. Yeah, and I'm always a little surprised sometimes you see, you, you know, you see so many highly touted defensive ends and, and you know, at coming in at 255, 260, 265 pounds, you know, they can run a 4.5, 4, 4.6, 4.7, and uh, 40 when they're, you know, trying out at the combine. It's it's interesting. You know, and I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's such a kind of a non-issue, but I think it's percolated up enough. It's probably, you know, it, it deserves a mention of its own. It's that Mark Ingram thing. I mean, I... I just don't, you know, I don't see it. 
because of the value you can get in running backs later on in the draft and free agency and undrafted free agency, I just don't see. But setting aside even the, you know, Stephen Jack, whether the Rams had Stephen Jackson or not, the contract issues, things like that. I just don't. Martin Ingram may be the best play, one of the best pet players available at pick number fourteen. I just don't see, you know, the overall value in it when you can kind of wait second, third, fourth round and get a complimentary back for Steven Jackson and, you know, even pick up another guy in the later rounds that kind of fits that more of that power between the tackles type mold that you see, you know, you, you the pairing you see in running backs. I just, you know, I, I hope people don't get too carried away with this Mark Ingram at pick number 14 idea. Yeah, I mean, you know I'm biased, man. You know, obviously I'm going to agree with you. I think the thing is that a lot of people see Mark Ingram as a productive back and he's, you know, obviously Heisman winner. He can do just about everything you ask him. The only big issue I have of him is as a receiver. I don't think he's as good a receiver as, for example, DeMarco Murray, really good hands coming out of the backfield. But yeah, it's not a knock on Mark Ingram. It's like I've tried to say, it's the position that doesn't carry, you know, first-round talent for me. It's not about individual wow. talent. It's positional talent. Nobody talks about drafting a center in the top ten or a tight end in the top ten. And the reason why is simple. The position doesn't bear the value. And, you know, right. I'm of the opinion that the running back is the same thing. I don't want to belabor the point because I know I've thrown some pieces on Tertial Times, and I think people know where I stand on this. So I'm pretty biased on the Mark Ingram thing, but obviously I'm going to have to agree with you that I don't think that would be in our best interest, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> what else is on your mind yeah. today? Oh, man, I was going to say, I Dang think the it. interesting thing for me is we talk about running backs. We talked about, you know, the different kind of running back. But, you know, moving forward, I think there's an opportunity to do some things to the run game under a McDaniels run offense. Because we talk about how he's going to bring, you know, spread offense, a lot of shotgun sets. He's going to open up the field for Sam Bradford more. But I don't think we've talked about how that's really going to affect the run game very comprehensively. And obviously we've got a lot of time in the off season to address that kind of stuff. And I know we're running out of time. We only got about eight minutes left in the overtime. But, you know, one of the things I thought about is, is using Steven Jackson, especially a change of pace back, off the draw. We didn't run a lot of draws last year. Um, no, not at all. You know, all. It, it just wasn't something in the playbook. And I think part of it was the fact that when you run those draws, you really need to have strong interior linemen who can carry the run play uh, moving forward. And obviously we didn't have that. But I'm going to be really interested to see how we, uh, if McDaniel's is comfortable working that in, depending on who we've got at the position next year. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned it before on the slide. I think it's going to be interesting to see. You know, we, everyone wants a third down back. It's like, well, Stephen Jackson's the best third one of the best third down backs you can get. I mean, yeah. one of the best guys you could ask for on third. Now, maybe his pass blocking isn't as good as some guys, but as far as catching the ball, I mean, he does some damage. You line Stephen Jackson up in the slot. You know, just a few, the handful of plays they put him in the slot last year. The guy does some damage on. He demands the respect of the defense because of his ability as a receiver and that YAC ability he brings to that too. So you know you're looking at some of these run, other running backs they're looking at that don't necessarily fit that Kendall Hunter or man maybe that's not the best example because I think he's a little more all around than some. But you know the the Noel Devine type scat back profile. You see some of these other guys they're looking at. You know it's first and second down or second down and two, three yards to go where you may not see Steven Jackson in there running the ball. Sure. I, I think that's the best time to, to try to get him some to get him some time on the sideline to stay fresh, you know, throughout the game. You know, maybe your second or third first down on a drive or 
you know, like we said, the second down, maybe even a second down and short. But you, you talk about Steven Jackson. I look at a guy like Toby Gearhart, you know, who was drafted by Stanford mm-hmm. last year and widely considered essentially a third down and goal line back. They weigh, you know, practically the exact same amount. The only real difference is Gearhart is shorter by an inch. It's not that Gearhart has a ton more power. It's that he knows yeah. that that's the biggest facet of his game. Steven Jackson can do so many other things so that people don't look at him as a power back. But he's got mm-hmm. he's as powerful as almost any goal line, you know, third down specialist oh, yeah. that you can find in the league. I just don't understand why that's a that's a you know, a facet that people think that the, that needs to be upgraded for the Rams. I just think that he hasn't had a lot of opportunities to do that. I think the blocking has been a serious issue in terms of in terms of opening up those type of skinny lanes that you need to give goal linebacks. And then, of course, we haven't had somebody that can, you know, really fill him in for those drives. Kenneth Darby, as much as I love the guy, he hasn't been really that successful. So I think it's going to be one of those things that maybe we get an eye-opener when you bring in that change of pace of running back and things start developing for the running game that people will realize what we had all along. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 3K, anything else on your mind? I don't know, man. I got the VCU Butler game on. Uh, you know, oh. I'm ready to get a Saturday night going. If we need to kill this off, we can do it. Uh, I'm looking forward to some more Touchdown Radio. I'm going to try to squeeze in another couple episodes. Hopefully, you won't be, you know, disappearing into the forest anytime Hell soon, no. and we can knock that, them out hey, together. Hey, man, I, I had my one, I had my one uh, dudes dudes vacation of the year. So that's it. I am henpecked and all everybody's from here on out for the rest of the season. There you go. That's good. Uh, now, I don't want to you know, squeeze one thing in well, I no, know no, no. I was going to say is one thing, you know, we one of these pre-draft turf show readies, we need to spend some time. I would like to. I think we may be hitting some of these other receivers. We talk, we've talked on the side about some of these other receivers, you know, those second-tier, third-tier type receiver guys that, you know, we're, we're talking about in the draft and, and maybe even the, the receiver situation for the Rams at all. But, you know, with, with four, three, four minutes left, that ain't happening now. And this, this let me ask you a quick question. Corey Lugett, what do you think of Corey Lugett? You know, he's an interesting guy. Is that a viable guy. pick at 14? I think so, and the main reason is because of his pass rush abilities. When you look at defensive tackles that you want to take at the top of the draft, you know you can get a lot of run stuffers, especially if they have the weight. You know, we were talking to CC Machine Matt about, uh, oh, man, what's his name? I already forgot his name. But the defensive tackle, Adrian Taylor, um, right. coming maybe at the end of the draft, he's a viable run stuffer. He's 311 pounds. The reason why he probably won't be drafted is not just injuries, but there's tons of defensive tackles that weigh 311 pounds that you're going to get that can stop the run. We had Fred Robbins do it, and he was practically receiving Social Security benefits. The key is that when you have a defensive tackle that can pass rush and really effectively collapse pockets, that makes him more valuable than almost anybody else on the defensive line because that's a, yeah. that's a plus that you just normally don't get out of the position. That's what makes Dominican Sue so special. That would, that's what makes yeah. a great 4-3 defensive tackles really important is their ability to affect games not only in run stopping but also in the passing game. So when we talk about Corey, I think the biggest thing is that he's got two big moves that he can use in the passing game. One is a, a great swim move, and the other one is a bull rush. He's incredibly strong, and that comes from his base. A lot of people like to talk about bench press when you look at the combine for strength. That's not nearly as important as leg strength. Leg strength gives you the leverage to really bully up against guys and push things back. And for a defensive tackle, that's more important than anything. So is he, 
is he valuable enough to take it 14? I think so. I think the key that you have to look at if you're the Rams is who's available. And it's one of those things that obviously right now it exists only in a hypothetical situation. Right. But come draft day, you're going to have some guys. I mean, look at last year, Tyson Aluwalu. You're going to have surprises. Things are going to happen before 14. It's a position we haven't been in in about half a decade. But it's going to happen, and you're going to say, wow, you know, I wasn't considering that maybe this guy is here available. Do we do we have to consider him at this position? You know, yeah, something's going to happen, man, and it's going to be one of those things where now, yeah, Corey's a, a legitimate first round defensive tackle, but when you have somebody that's got that conventional wisdom stock that drops down on drafting, it changes everything. Yeah, absolutely, and you know that could be. You know, there was some talk that Daquan Power, Bowers pro day this week exactly. of him dropping. You know, there's sure. a guy that could now, you know, once a top five pick, now could be a mid to late round first round pick. Robert Quinn is a guy that was probably considered a late to mid first round pick and is now probably, you know, played um pro date his way into the top ten. I mean it's hard to it's hard to see him fall into the Rams at that. You know, I he's think that's where you consider he's an amazing athlete all around pass yeah. rusher, you know, he'd be a great four three end. You probably slide him inside some. I I don't know. I mean it would be it'd be really exciting to see him fall. I think, you know, you're probably starting to look at some of the pass rushers given where the Rams are drafting and, and kind of what their needs are and what kind of talent is available in that first round. But, you know, the first round's easy. The first round's easy. The second through seventh round, that's where the wild times begin, and that's where the Rams have thrown the curveballs in the last few drafts. Uh, you know, the Jerome Murphy pick, the Humanu Wanui pick, the, you know, you, you could pull those picks out all over the Saffold pick, all over the place. And that's, uh, that's, I think that's, that's a good place to start really up next started. episode, man. Hey, that does, that sounds like a good, good... Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.